Good morning, everyone. So glad to see you here this morning. And we thank God for what He's been doing in Waters Church. All three of our campuses are growing, and God is blessing. But we want you to pray continuously for the work of God. As you know, when Jesus was here on earth, He was attacked all the time from all sides. And we know that the enemy is uh, against the growth of God's work. And so we need people in the church that will continuously pray for the church. Remember, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has sought to sift you, but I have prayed for you. And so it's important that we pray for the work of God. This morning, I'm going to speak for a short while on the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know Sunday mornings, we specifically geared it towards new people and people who are young in the Lord. But nonetheless, we have to uh, have hear about the great doctrines of the Bible because we've got to build our lives on a solid foundation. If you're not building your life upon a solid foundation, the storms of life will come and the house will fall down. And so we need to build on something that is solid, and that is the great doctrines of the Bible. Uh, very few people really know much about uh, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. They know about the first coming. In a couple of months' time, we'll celebrate the birth of Jesus, but the same Jesus is coming back again one day for His church. Uh, I want to read a few verses of Scripture, and then uh, we'll go ahead. In John chapter 14, Jesus says to the people, Don't be troubled. You trust God. Now also trust me. There are many rooms in my Father's home, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I would tell you plainly. When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. You know where I am going, and you know how to get there. So, and then uh, Thomas responds. He says, No, we don't know, Lord. We haven't any idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Then Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, when Jesus spoke those words to the disciples, uh, he knew that he was speaking to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience knew exactly what he was speaking about. In those days, the Father would build a house, and the sons would grow up in a house. And if the son comes to that age where he wants to get married, and he goes and looks for a wife, he builds onto his father's house. He adds rooms, and then he goes and gets his wife. They come back, and they live on that portion of the house. That was the custom of the day. So when Jesus told them, in my father's house are many rooms or many mansions, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And then Jesus tells them, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. And they respond, Lord, we don't know how to get there. But Jesus had told them several times how they can get to his father's house. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come unto the father except through me. And so Jesus wasn't saying there are many ways to the father's house. He wasn't saying that uh, there, there are uh, different ways that you can get there. He was saying there's only one way. And I am that way. He never said, I am one of the ways. He said, I am the only way that you can get to the Father's house. And so in the same context, Jesus 
was promising them that he had done what the Father had sent him to do here on earth. Now he was going back home. He was going to prepare a place for all those that have put their faith and trust in him. Then also we read in the book of Acts, it says there, they asked him, when are you going to restore the kingdom? And he says, the Father sets those dates. And they are not for you to know. But when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. And you will tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I wonder how many of us, when we've read a scripture like that, have followed it up in God's word to see if that is what happened. Because the Bible tells us we must not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And so Jesus was telling the early disciples, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon you, and He was going to empower you, empower you specifically to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, when you go through the book of Acts, you're going to see exactly what Jesus said took place. They started in Jerusalem, they went to Judea, they went to Samaria, and eventually they spread throughout the world, preaching the gospel and giving witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says to him, it was not long after he said this, that he was taken up into the sky while they were watching. And he disappeared in a cloud. And as they were straining their eyes to see him, two white road men suddenly stood among them. And they said, men of Galilee, why are you standing staring in the sky? Jesus had been taken away from you into heaven, and someday, just as you see him go, he will come again. So Jesus, in his resurrected, glorified body, appeared unto the disciples, and he tells them about the fact that in this dispensation, when the church of Christ was going to be birthed, that they were going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit that he had accomplished the purposes of the Father, and as he was talking to them, suddenly he disappears from their mercy. He is taken up by a cloud. Two angels appeared unto him and said, You men of Galilee, uh, the King James Version says it this way, Why are you staring into heaven? The same Jesus you see go up into heaven is coming back again. The same Jesus. Jesus is coming back again. We get excited about the first coming. We celebrate it every year. But the church needs to celebrate daily the fact that this same Jesus is coming back again. And you know, when Jesus went into heaven at that time, he took something into heaven that was never there before, a human body. Remember, God became a man and dwelt among us. And Jesus, in that human body, fulfilled the purpose of God, paid the price on Calvary, died and was buried in a tomb, and on the third day, he was raised by the power of God. He had the same body because they recognized him after his resurrection. But that new body was incorruptible, and that body would live forever. And it is with that body that Jesus ascended up into heaven to take his place at the right-hand side of God the Father. Now, how do I know that Jesus is in heaven at this moment in that same body? How do I know that the same Jesus has gone up into heaven and is coming again? Now, how will we recognize him? Some of you may think, well, you know, I've seen a picture of Jesus. 
And so when Jesus comes again, I will recognize him according to that picture. But remember, all the pictures we see are man-made. They're not real. How will we know it's him? By the nail scars in his hands and his feet. It says that when Jesus comes again, he comes to the Jewish people. And they look at him and they see him and they say, where did you get those wounds in your hands and your feet? And he's going to tell them that I received it in the house of my friend. Remember, Jesus came the first time specifically for the Jewish people. And the Jewish people rejected him and crucified him. They were his friends, but they did not recognize him as the Messiah. So when he comes again, they will know that he who came the first time and died on the cross is truly the Messiah. So Jesus is coming back, and we'll recognize him by the scars in his hands and his feet. Remember, he got those scars because he paid for our sin on Calvary. So the Bible speaks uh, throughout the New Testament about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what you've got to understand about the Bible, the Bible is many snapshots. Uh, uh, you can focus on one snapshot, for example, you can look into the life of Abraham and you can focus there. But what you've got to understand, it is only a small part of the whole. The Bible from the book of Genesis to Revelation is all about redemption. Redemption. God redeeming man unto himself. Redemption. He is the redeemer. And the price for redemption was he shed blood on Calvary's hill. So the Bible is his story. And it is the story how does God who created man, lost it through sin, has come back and paid the price to restore mankind unto himself. Now, the second coming or the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is exactly the same. It's a number of snapshots. We cannot share that in one meeting. There's too much. But we can look at a few snapshots and have some idea of the return of Christ. Now, the main thing we've got to understand this morning is that from the beginning up to now, there's been different dispensations. There was a dispensation of innocence, a dispensation of consciousness, dispensation of law, and then a dispensation of grace. It says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You and I are living in the dispensation of grace. What does that mean? That means whosoever will, whosoever may call, upon the name of the Lord, and they will be saved. That is grace. doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, where you're going. No matter where you are, any moment of the day, you can call upon that name that's above every other name, and you will be saved. That is the dispensation of grace. But that dispensation, like all the others, is going to come to a close. And so this is actually the great day of opportunity. And that's why very much in the church today, we are being taught not to focus on ourselves, but to focus on those that need Christ as Lord and Savior. Once you're in the kingdom, the focus must go off you, and you are commanded by God to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, become a strong disciple. But then you begin to focus on the lost. You see, the coming of the Lord Jesus is not just theology. It's not just a doctrine. It does have a dynamic impact upon our lives, or it should have a dynamic impact upon our lives. Number one, it should make us more compassionate 
to those who do not know Christ. Why? Because this age is going to come to an end, and then there's no more hope for them. And so that's the first impact it will have. The second impact, it will cause us to draw closer to Him and to be more like Him. The Bible says, He that has this hope purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So if I have this blessed hope that the Bible speaks about, the coming of the Lord, I'm going to see that I'm in the faith and that I'm walking in the light. You see, folk, there's no reason for you and I to be here this morning and to have sin in our lives. If you're a Christian and you say you're born again, there is no reason whatsoever for you to sit here and have unforgiveness in your heart because the Bible has made a way for us. It says when you're in Christ, you confess your sin, He is faithful and just enough to forgive you of your sin and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so we have this wonderful opportunity to continuously be cleansed in the blood of Jesus and to walk in the light as He is in the light. In other words, what He is saying, He's saying you must be ready for the coming of Jesus. As He says, we don't know when He's coming. We don't know the hour. We don't know the day. We don't know the month. We don't know the year. And so we live in a sense of expectancy that Christ can come anytime. And that's why He gives us the parable of the virgins. There were ten of them, five foolish, five wise. He says five of those virgins, they were all virgins. But he says five of them had oil in their lamps. Five had no oil. And so when the bridegroom came, there was no light. They were not ready. And they missed out on the coming of the bridegroom. Now, now what is he really telling us in that parable? I believe he's telling us that in the church today, the so-called church, there is only about 50% of people that are really ready for the coming of the Lord. They have oil in their lamps. Folk, how do I know that I'm ready? Is when I have my heart cleansed daily by the blood of Christ. When I'm an honest person and a sincere person, when I'm able to say, I have done wrong, I have sinned, and I need to make right, and I do that, I come to God. You don't have to go to any man. You don't have to go to any woman. You can go directly to the Lord and confess that sin and be cleansed so that you can have oil in your lamp. And so when the bridegroom comes, you're going to be ready to be taken away. Now, everybody has that opportunity. Now, he speaks here uh, about the fact that he's coming back again. He says, in my father's house are many mansions, the old King James Version. This one says many rooms. What does that do to you? Now, first of all, it causes us to have compassion towards those who do not know Christ. Number two, it has an impact upon our lives and causes us to make sure that we're right with God and right with one another. Folks, listen to me this morning. You cannot be right with God if you're not right with one another. You cannot say, I love God, and you don't love someone else because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, what it does to us, this teaching on the coming of the Lord, it gives us hope. You see, we're living in a hopeless society. All around us, we can see people are losing hope and faith. They lose faith in the government. They lose hope in, in, in the things that are happening around the world. And that's why there are so many people today suffering from depression, people who have a sense of hopelessness. Many, many people, even coming to church, they feel they're never going to accomplish something. 
It just seems there's a spirit of hopelessness in our world today. But the fact that we as God's people, we are in Christ, know that Jesus is coming back, gives us hope. That's why he says you have the blessed hope that this world is not our home, that we're pilgrims passing through. We're heading for the city that has foundations and whose builder and maker is Almighty God. And so the best is yet to come for every man, woman, and young person who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again. That is the hope of the church. Amen? Now, he doesn't say, you got this hope, go and get yourself a guitar or a harp and go and sit under the tree and sing love songs till I come. He's not saying that. He's saying, occupy, get busy, have children, get married, do what you have to do, but always with a sense of expectancy that any moment Jesus can come. Now, in the book of Thessalonians, he speaks about the return of the Lord. And uh, uh, pastors very often take that passage of Scripture and they use it as a funeral sermon. Well, the Bible doesn't really tell us this is for a wedding service, this is for a dedication service, this is for a, uh, a funeral service. It doesn't say that because the Scriptures are all applicable to all of us. And so in Thessalonians, he says, listen, there's going to be a shout from heaven one day, a loud voice, the voice of the archangel. He says the trumpet of God is going to sound, and the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected. And so he's speaking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of that passage, he says, um, comfort one another with this truth. Comfort one another with this truth. So when, when you feel you're in the valley of despair, and, and you feel, what does the future hold for me? He's saying, don't look down, don't be downcast, because for you as a child of God, the best is yet to come. Jesus is coming back. He's taken to you back to a place that He has prepared for all of those that love Him. And we are going to spend eternity with Him. That is the hope. And so He says there's a shout. There's the voice of the archangel. And He says the dead in Christ will be resurrected. One of the great questions of our day is, where are the dead? Where are the dead? Now, you have a couple of people on television. Uh, I know the one guy's name. His name is James. He disappeared for a while, but he's back again. And uh, he meets with families, and then he, he, he tells them, uh, or he brings messages to them from loved ones who have died. But the whole thing is a con, because you cannot communicate with the dead, according to the Bible. And so he is conning people, and, uh, and, and he's being praised on national television and re yet really what he's doing, he's bringing tremendous harm and hurt to people because it's all blatant lies. We need to know, where are the dead? Well, first of all, if you've given your life to Jesus and you're born again, you become a new creature. And the Bible says when you die, it is your body that goes to the grave. Your spirit and your soul goes immediately to be with the Lord. There is a separation at death. The grave, the body goes to the grave, it becomes dust, but the spirit and the soul goes immediately to be with the Lord. Then when Jesus comes back again, this body is resurrected, and it now, mortality puts on immortality, and corruption puts on incorruption. 
When that body is resurrected, it becomes a body like the Lord Jesus had after he rose from the dead. The spirit and the soul of the body comes together again. So it says there'll be a shout, the voice of the trumpet, the voice of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. Spirit, soul, and body comes together. And for those of us that are still alive, when Jesus comes, it says that we will, be, uh, we will change in a twinkling of an eye. Just like that, we'll be changed. Corruption will put on incorruption, mortality, immortality. And together with those that are resurrected, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, the word the church uses is the rapture. But you will not find that word anywhere in Scripture. Rapture simply means to be caught up. So when Jesus comes, we're going to be caught up to meet Him in the air. That is very exciting. He's coming from outer space to inner space to take us back to outer space. Wonderful thing. And so when Jesus comes, the church will be taken out of the world. Can you for one moment imagine what this world will be like without the church? As weak as we are and the stupid things we do, can you imagine what the world will be without the atmosphere or without the church? It will be terrible. And so the church is taken out. Where do we go? We go to heaven. We go to heaven with Jesus. And it says in heaven we are going to appear at the, great, at the judgment seat of Christ. We are going to stand before Jesus, every one of us, to give an account. But it's not a... A judgment seat where we're going to be condemned, where Jesus is going to say, hey, you never did much good this way, you that way. No, no, no. It is not a place where we are going to be judged, but it is a place where we are going to be rewarded. The Bible says there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Christ has taken away that condemnation. So we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and He's going to reward us for what we have done down here in these physical bodies. Folk, that is, that, that is a great cause for rejoicing. That God is so gracious. How many of us here this morning deserve to be saved? How many of us here this morning deserve to be forgiven? How dare we ever even stand up and say, you know what, I deserve to be saved. I deserve to be forgiven. None of us. We were all unworthy. But Jesus took our place. He died for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Grace. We are saved by grace. That's why the Lord says when you break bread and come around the table, uh, he, he wants us to remember, every week to remember that we are saved by grace and not of ourselves, that it's a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. So God saves me by his grace, His unmerited favor. I did not deserve it. I rebelled against God. I broke His laws. I violated His commandments. Yet He loved me. And He saved me. That's grace. And now He says, if I walk in the light and I obey Him while I'm here in this human body and I'm active in the work of God, one day I'll stand before Him and He's going to reward me. That's an extension of His grace. He's going to reward us. The Bible speaks about the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. He speaks about seven crowns that will be given to those that are in Christ. Those that, that win people to Jesus, it's called the soul winner's crown. They're going to be crowned. 
And those that are good shepherds and good pastors to the people of God, they're going to receive a crown. And, and so there are going to be seven crowns. Uh, but those crowns are going to be given to the church at the judgment seat of Christ, not so that we can boast. There's no pride in heaven. There's no boasting in heaven. You see, I'm not going to say now, say now I'm a, I, I fulfill all those things and I get all seven crowns. He's not going to give me seven crowns at the judgment seat so that I can put them on my head and say, look at me, seven crowns. Hey, I'm, I'm ideal. This is how you should have done it. No. We're going to take those crowns. We're going to receive them. And then we're going to lay it at Jesus' feet. And we're going to say, you alone are worthy. For you have redeemed us with your precious blood. He is the one that will receive the reward. You know, I come from South Africa. And in Africa, I've, I preached up in the kingdom of Lesotho at, at the major conference one year, many, many years ago. And I remember in this place, there were thousands of people. And uh, they took up the offering, and I watched the people. They, they had offering plates all over. Uh, someone would come, and they would have, for example, like 10 pennies or 10 cents. And then they would they play a song, and then they sing and dance as they come, and they give it to the Lord. And they put down one, and then they go around, and they dance and sing and come back again. And they put down the name. So this one person with 10 pennies goes up 10 times. You see, it was such a privilege to give to the Lord. They were so glad. They were so thrilled that they were able to give to the Lord because He is worthy. And that's going to happen to us at the judgment seat of Christ. He is worthy. He has redeemed us. He has paid the price in full. Listen, my friend, don't let the devil bring conviction and, and don't let the devil bring condemnation to you and tell you you're unworthy, you'll never make it, you're no good. Let me tell you this morning, when Jesus died on the cross, He said, it is finished. It means He paid the price in full for your salvation. And you can walk in the freedom and the forgiveness of God today because of Jesus. He alone is worthy. And so while we're up there in heaven receiving our rewards, Something else is going to happen on earth. And I'm going to watch my time and I'm going to stop anywhere. It doesn't matter because I'm giving you different snapshots. When, when we're in heaven receiving our reward, the world is still going on. And what's happening right now, maybe we cannot see it, but right now the devil is preparing a man. A man who's called the Antichrist. And he is going to be a man who's going to solve many of the problems and the issues in the world today. In fact, when this man comes on the scene, the Bible says, many will marvel at this man. Now, there's something you've got to know about the devil. The devil is not a creator. He's an imitator. He can only imitate. And he imitates God. God is a father, God's son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the devil imitates that. In Revelation, there is the dictator beast, which is the devil himself. Then there is this anti-Christ man who's anti-Jesus. And then there's a false prophet that is also going to come on the scene. This false prophet will pave the way for the anti-Christ. Now, who paved the way for Jesus? The Holy Spirit. So he imitates the Holy Spirit, he imitates Jesus, and he imitates God the Father. Now, this false prophet is going to perform miracles. Miracles like we have never seen. In fact, he's going to do what only Elijah did. Elijah called fire from heaven and it consumed the altars on the mountain. This man is going to call fire from heaven. And because of that, 
Many people are going to be deceived. Many people will think this is the man of God and they were going to fall in. That's why it's so important that you hear what I'm saying today. This is why it's so important that you're rooted and grounded in the Word of God and that you're not led this way or that way by your feelings, but you build your life upon the solid Word of God. It's going to be a great time of deception. But we're in heaven receiving rewards. We're rejoicing. It's the marriage feast of the Lamb. And all this is going on. This man comes on the scene. He solves a lot of issues, a lot of problems. The world bows at his feet. You know that the world is looking for a man like that right now? Mr. Obama is not the man. There is no world leader at the moment that has the whole world marveling at him. But he's coming. He's coming. And then what happens? This man, he makes a pact with the Jewish people. And they begin to marvel and they begin to worship him. And then the Bible says there's going to be seven years of great suffering as this world has never known. The, world, the seven years of great suffering, the church will be in heaven. It will be on those that are left on the earth. And it says during those seven years, uh, there's going to be terrible things happening on the earth. And it says that uh, this Antichrist, after three and a half years, he turns on the Jewish people and he brings great suffering upon them. Now, it is, it is at the hands of the Antichrist, but it is also the judgment of God. You see, everybody must be judged from the beginning of time to the end of time. Every single human being that was ever born must come under the judgment of God. You and I have come under the judgment of God at Calvary when Jesus died for us, and there is no more condemnation unto us. We've passed judgment. But as believers, we'll be judged to receive rewards, but those in the seven years, the Jewish people are going to be judged. Why are they going to be judged? Because they rejected the Messiah. When Jesus came, they said, crucify him, crucify him. They rejected him as the Messiah. They are the, the people of God. Jesus was a Jew. They are his brethren according to the flesh. But they did not receive him. And because of that, he's going to judge them. And they're going to go through a terrible time of judgment. And at the end of those seven years, there's going to be the judgment of all the Gentile nations. Not the church. The church is in heaven. Not the Jews because they've already been judged. But the Gentile nations who go through those seven years of tribulation. How's God going to judge the Gentile nation? By this way. You remember in the scripture says, Jesus said, I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was naked, you clothed me. When was Jesus naked? When was Jesus hungry? When was Jesus thirsty? You see, we can't point that. What was Jesus in that context? He's speaking about his brethren according to the flesh. So when the Jews suffer through the great tribulation, great suffering, there are going to be Gentile people from all the nations of the world. That's what Gentiles are, from all the nations. They are going to have compassion on the Jews. They're going to help them. They're going to feed them. They're going to dress them. They're going to give them to drink. They're going to look after them in their great suffering under the judgment of the Antichrist and under the wrath of God. They're going to have compassion on them. Not all of them, but many. And so when they come to the end of that seven years, they will all stand before God and He will say, He will separate the sheep from the goats. Sheep and goats are not those who are saved and those who are not saved. Sheep and goats are brethren, are people, Gentiles, who had compassion on the Jews. Those are the sheep. Those who did not have compassion on the Jews were the goats. And he separates them, and then he judges them. And those sheep that he judges, he says, enter in to the kingdom that my Father has prepared. 
Because when Jesus comes at the end of the seven years, there is going to be a great battle, and it's called the Battle of Armageddon. Listen to me this morning. The movies know more about Armageddon than the church. Everywhere in the movies, they're talking about Armageddon and all that stuff. We never talk about it. And yet it's a great battle that's going to take place. Because those saints, that's us, if we die before Jesus comes, within heaven, we are coming back with Jesus as the mighty army after the seven years. And there's going to be all these people that come through the great tribulation with the Antichrist and the false prophet. And Jesus is going to fight against them. And he's going to overcome them. He's going to take the false prophet, the Antichrist, and the followers, and he's going to put them in a lake of fire for all eternity. He's going to take Satan, the dictator beast, and bind him up, chain him for a thousand years. It's called the Battle of Armageddon. It's going to take place in the valley of Megiddo. I was in, in Israel many years ago, and we were taken to the valley of Megiddo. And as far as you look, it's flat land. And they say that many wars have taken place at that, at that particular place. And that's where the battle of Armageddon is going to be. And Jesus is going to overcome and cast the Antichrist, false prophet, and all those followers into the lake of fire and bind Satan for a thousand years. And then he's going to usher in his earthly kingdom. In other words, Jesus himself coming back with this church is going to be in Jerusalem and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. So if you're living in the United States and you want to see Jesus, you have to go to Jerusalem because he's going to be here physically. And it says he's going to rule with a rod of iron. No nonsense. And a thousand years of peace. A thousand years of absolute wonderful bliss like it was in the garden before Adam and Eve sinned. So the thousand years of peace. There are going to be People that have their resurrected bodies and there are going to be ordinary people who came through the tribulation who will have to receive Jesus as Lord. Now, quickly, at the end of that thousand years, there are going to be many people who physically see Jesus and yet don't turn to Him. They're still going to reject Him. Why? Because the heart of man is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's out of the heart of man that proceeds evil thoughts, fornication, murders, lies, and adultery. Folk, we blame everything under the sun except the human heart. We say, oh, the reason why people do what they do and the sin they commit is because of education. Education has got nothing to do with it. Go to our prisons today. Our prisons are full of educated men and women. It's the heart of man. Man's heart needs to be changed. And there's not a psychiatrist, there's not a psychologist, there's not a doctor, there's not a specialist, there's not a professor that can change the heart of man. Only Jesus Christ can do that. He changes our hearts. And so there are those that will reject him. And what's going to happen, he's going to, can you imagine a thousand years without the devil? I mean, the devil is real. I, I've heard people say, oh, they blame everything on the devil. Well, 95% for sure is the devil. He should get the blame. But can you imagine a world without the devil where Jesus rules and the law of the Lord is over the land? We, we're going to experience something glorious. But at the end of the thousand years, he, he loosens the devil so that for the last time, the devil will attack Jesus. 
And he goes and he gathers uh, all those people during the thousand years that have rejected Jesus. And he builds a mighty army. It's called the Battle of Gog and Magog. It takes place at the end of the thousand years. And when they come against Jesus, he brings fire from heaven. And he consumes them. Destroys the whole army. And takes Satan and puts him where the false prophet and the Antichrist is in the lake of fire. For all eternity. It's the end of his story. He's done. Then he ushers in the great white throne judgment. I'll close there. The great white throne judgment. That is where everybody from all ages who've rejected Christ are going to appear. You see, everybody is going to live forever. It's not a question whether everybody is going to live forever. It's a question, where are you going to live? The great white throne judgment, Pharaoh will be there, Herod will be there, Hitler will be there, Stalin will be there. Or innumerable God-haters will stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he's going to open the books. He's going to open the books. It says he's going to open the books and if your name is not written in the book, it's going to cast you into the lake of fire. You see, uh, earlier years, I, I, we used to sing a song many, many years ago. When somebody gets saved, we say, oh, there's a new name written down in glory. And we sing it with great joy. We should rejoice when someone gets saved. Isn't it so? But I don't think God writes your name in when you give your life to Him. I, I think God in His foreknowledge has already written your name in the book of life. This morning you're in this place, you don't know Jesus. You've never given your life to Christ. You know down in your heart that you're away from God. But God has been so gracious and so loving that from the very beginning of time, before you were even born, He put your name in that book. And your name can remain there. You make a decision to come to Christ. You make the decision that I made and many others made. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Come into my life. Change me. Make a new creature out of me. Help me to serve you, love you, and to walk in your ways. And a miracle takes place in your life, and then your name stays in that book. But at that judgment seat, you'll see that you never made that commitment, and your name is taken out. And you go into a lost eternity. Folk, it's real. It's real. Jesus is coming back again. We shall all stand before Him one day. Either at the judgment seat of Christ, or at the judgment of the Gentiles, or at the great white throne judgment. The heart of the church must be that nobody that hears our voice should ever go to the great white throne judgment. 